the Bible says about these days. And I've come to believe there is one sign for sure that the Lord is waiting on. There's one. And you know what it is. Jesus said it in Matthew, said it in Mark, Olivet Discourse. He's looking across at the temple, explaining what's going to be happening. And he said, the end will not come until the gospel is proclaimed to all nations. In other words, till everyone has opportunity. I just, it really hit me. I've heard that. And I'm, I've been listening, I've been reading a lot of guys that I've never read before. One is a linguistic specialist, an Old Testament professor. And uh, Michael Heiser is his name. Taught at one of our seminaries and also for Liberty. And he does a podcast, a podcast called The Naked Bible. And I've been listening to it. And, and he has a lot of question and answer time. Somebody asked him a question because he's written a lot of books on the unseen realm. He does a lot in angelology and demonology and just really a lot of supernatural kinds of things. And they asked him a question, what do you think Satan is doing and the demons are doing now? What's their strategy? And you know what he said? And I've heard David Platt, by the way, say the same thing. Their strategy is to do whatever it takes to keep the nations from hearing the gospel. Because they know when the gospel goes to all the nations, game over for them. It's done. And they are doing everything they can to distract the churches from doing the mission God gave us. And let me tell you, thank you for being a church that will not be distracted. We have a mission. And I just think it's imperative. And it takes people who believe, okay, who believe that God has called us and we can do this. You've got a lot of great ideas. You have a wonderful missions leader Heather is on a board with me right now. And so I've had a chance to interact with her just a little bit. And she's told me about you and about some of the things you're doing. But let me tell you what it takes for all of that. It just takes people who believe God. Who believe that, that God's still changing lives. He can still change anybody's life. He makes a difference. And the gospel can change a nation. I want to take you to a place in the, uh, the New Testament, in the book of James, that he talks about that. James just says, hey, if you have faith, if the Lord has changed your life, there will be evidence of it. And it will make you do things that you never would have thought you would ever do. My hope and prayer is that this weekend, this mission's emphasis may move you in a direction that gives you an opportunity to do things you've never thought about doing. Or maybe you've thought about them, but you never could take that step. Maybe it's to go on a mission trip. Maybe it's to get involved in a local ministry. Maybe it's to give more than you've ever given or to start praying specifically for some ministries that are happening. So whatever it is, I want to put this before you and I just pray that God will use it to speak to you. James chapter 2, I'm going to start reading in verse 14 and then you just follow along and we'll read to the end of the chapter. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but he does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. 
You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, O foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled. It says Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. May the Lord add his blessing to this. So growing up, I went through a season of rebellion. And I just didn't want to be a part of the church. I didn't want to be a part really much of anything that God was involved in because I was angry at God. I was angry at my parents. I remember my dad saying, you got to come to church one, one service. And so I was in rebellion, and I really debated whether or not I wanted to do that. And he said, well, if you don't, you don't stay at home. Well, I'm a high school senior playing football and basketball and active and got my buddies with me most of the time. I was hungry. I like mama's cooking, so I thought, well... I can endure one service. So I would come and I would sit in the back. And I never will forget this. My hair's down my shoulders. I mean, I'm just not a happy boy at all. Not if you have long hair, you're not happy. It just happened. (laughs) I realized that sounded bad, so. I'm sitting back there and this lady comes over to me. She goes, David, I just want to tell you something. Man, I just admire your faith. You're faithful. You've been so faithful. And I just said, thank you, ma'am. And I walked away from that thinking, wow. So that's all you got to do to be faithful is show up and sit for an hour. That's faith? No, that's not faith. But we got churches all across this country. That's all it is. The only way we define faithfulness, oh, yeah, they don't miss a Sunday. Isn't there something more? If I read this right, there's got to be more. I know people say, well, you, your faith is by what you believe, and we believe that God is one. Well, good for you. So do the demons. They were the first ones to know him. Do you know that? You read the text, and the first ones to know Jesus, who he was, and call him by an exalted title, they were demons. Long before his family, long before his disciples. So having this faith that says, oh, it's what I believe. No, it isn't. It's what you do. In fact, the word belief in the New Testament is a verb. It's not just some doctrine we hold. It's not just some set of rules that we embrace. No, no, no. It's how we live our life. And so James is saying, you must show if you are truly his. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a debate in some theological circles that James is on one side and Paul's on the other, and they're fighting each other. Well, they are on opposite sides, but they're not fighting each other. If you can just let me show you just for a second the best way to understand these words as James is saying them, because they sound like they're contradicting the apostle. But let me show you something. If this line is the line of salvation... Back there is when you were born and you're moving toward that moment of salvation. You get saved and then here you go as a saved and believer in Jesus, okay? 
Paul is standing here and he's saying to everyone coming to that moment, you don't get here by your works. You're not going to be changed by anything you do. The only work that changes you is the finished work of Jesus called atonement. That's how we're saved. There's no way you can bring works to the equation. But James then is standing back to back with Paul. And he's looking this way to those who say they're saved. And there's no evidence. They say they're followers of Christ, but there's nothing happening. So James is saying, look, if you're really his... It's got to show. That's what faith is. And so they are complementing one another. And James does the most amazing thing. He says, if you really are in love with Jesus, there's at least three things that are going to happen in your life. Number one, compassionate generosity. Compassionate generosity. He starts off by saying, you see a brother in need. And you look at him and you say, be warm, be filled. That's actually a blessing. It's a Hebrew blessing. Is that enough? No. (laughs) You find a way to meet his needs. So in other words, if we truly are walking by faith and living in faith, we can't just ignore needs when we know them, when we see them, and we become generous. That's what the giving, I mean, I love as, as Heather thanked you, and, and as every person that stood up here this morning has thanked you for giving. Look, you give because your life has been changed. Without Jesus, our giving doesn't make any sense. But when you know Jesus, we can't be too generous. Because remember this, never forget this. Everything you have to give is already his. Everything you have is already his. I mean, your house... You say, well, I worked hard for it. Oh, really? Where'd you get the ability to work? Who put breath in your body every day? Who gave you the ability to earn wealth? The Bible says he did. Everything we have belongs to him. How dare we be stingy? When we see a need, let's be generous. And that compassionate heart comes from faith. It comes from Jesus living in us. We didn't choose where we were born. I was in Haiti with with a mission team, and we were taking supplies into a village. We were wading water, literally, to get into that village. And when we got there, oh, my goodness, it was deplorable. And the kids, most of them, not any clothes on the kids, even some of the the, the teenagers. I mean, it was just a very difficult situation. This little girl runs over, and she grabs my leg. And she's holding on, and and she knew I had something in my hand to give her, and, and I gave it to her. And when she looked at me, Man, this moment happened, and I saw my daughter. Rachel and I have a, have a daughter. Her name is Hannah. And I saw her. And this is what went through my mind. How come I wasn't born here? Did I have anything to do with being born in a great country? Did I have anything to do with being born to Christian parents? Did I have anything to, be, to do with what I have? Zero. I'm no better than this young girl. And it was a day of just reckoning for me to realize, man, everything I have belongs to the Lord. So be generous. The second thing, sacrificial obedience. And he uses Abraham. He said, you remember Abraham? He was willing to sacrifice his son, the promised son, Isaac. And he sacrificed him, literally took him up to sacrifice him. Why? Because of his faith. 
And so he uses Abraham to point this out. Now here, here's what's very interesting. I, I'll read the text with you again. I want to make sure you see it. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac? You see, faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So you would think that he's saying that the reason he was righteous is because he was willing to offer Isaac. Nope. I turned it the other round, other way around. He was willing to offer Isaac because he was already righteous. You see, when you have been changed and you have been obedient, you're willing to sacrifice even those things you hold dear. These missionaries that you're praying for, we have missionaries. Oh, my goodness, we got them in Madagascar. We had them in China. They had to leave China. And when I say we, our church sent them. Our church funds them. We have missionaries. We have in Mexico, South America, Brazil, Venezuela. I mean, they're all over. And some of the things that I struggle with the most is when I see, like this family, Rachel and I were so close to them, Ed Moses. Ed Moses is a pharmacist, doctor of pharmacology. And yet he gave up a career here in this country to go serve what was then Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. His son, his son in his footsteps, Chip Moses, brilliant family practice physician, went to Afghanistan, served out his time with the IMB in Afghanistan and con somehow contracted a rare lung disease. And his funeral was about six months ago. I remember standing by his bedside and I knew he didn't have long. And man, I just, I looked at him and I could not understand why God would let somebody like that leave us. And I couldn't understand. I said, Chip, why did you go? Why did you say no to practicing in this country and go to Afghanistan of all places? He said, David, I could have stayed in this country and I made a great living and built nice house and had all the American dream. But my dream is not the American dream. My dream is a gospel dream. I wanted to make a difference in the lives of people. And I could use medicine to make that difference. Well, let me tell you, he did. He made an incredible difference. So when I say sacrificial obedience, I mean you're willing to do something that doesn't make sense. Abraham was willing to offer him up. And therefore, he said he was justified by that. Here's what you need to know. He offered him up in Genesis 22. That's the story of Abraham and Isaac. But do you know where he was declared righteous? Do you know when God said, you are righteous? Genesis 15. So, boys and girls, which comes first, 15 or 22? 15. Good, class. In case some of you weren't sure. 15. Where I came from in Arkansas, there are three kind of people, those who can count and those who can't. But anyway, all right? So, Genesis 15 comes first. Then 22. He was declared righteous in 15, and because he was justified... That's when he became sacrificially obedient. You and I have been saved by grace. We ought to live that way. He's changed our life. And the last one, uncalculated risk. We're willing to risk everything. You see what Rahab, I'm now, you gotta, you gotta hand it to James. Who would put Abraham and Rahab in the same conversation? 
You've got one, the father of the nation. And then you've got Rahab, who is not even a Jew and who was a prostitute. And I mean, but guess what? Rahab's in the genealogy of Jesus. You're talking about grace. So what did Rahab do? You know, her story's in Joshua chapter two, Jericho. She made a living, was most likely a prostitute. Though there's some, a little bit debate about it, but she was a woman that certainly was not living up to a moral standard of the Jews for sure. But anyway, she hid spies because she'd heard about Yahweh and she wanted to know more. She became a believer in Yahweh. And so therefore she hid them and protected them and God spared her and she became a part of the story. So let me just say this. She risked everything because she believed. She risked everything. If she had been caught, they would have, that was it. She was done. But she was willing to risk it. Why? Because she believed. What are we willing to risk? Because we believe. I mean, think about it. Is there anything in our life, anything that we're doing now that we need faith to live that way? Does it take faith to show up in church? Does it take faith to put a little money in the offering? Not much. But it takes faith to say, you know what? I want to get involved. I want to get in one of those projects. I, I want to do something. I've never done it, but I'm, I'm ready to go. And I'll do my best. That's the kind of risk that is evidence there's something going 